Good morning. Time to wake up. Hello. Good morning. Time to wake up. Good morning. Welcome to the show. I'm feeling... Oh, that's a very loud bird. I'm feeling very refreshed. It is Sunday morning and I'm recording this and I just got out of bed having a cup of coffee and thought I really need to pull my finger out and report record a podcast episode with you. So here I am, dragged myself to the studio, which is my office, and I'm ready to go. Yesterday I went to the Brisbane Home Show. Uh, they've grown in size, so the home show happens all around in all around Australia, and I think it's about every three to six months it'll pop up in each capital city, or at least Sydney, Brisbane, Canberra. Uh, sorry, Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne. Why did I say Canberra? I don't know. Well, it is our nation's capital, but anyway, um, it was good to go and see what. As a designer, it's it's actually really good for me to go to those sorts of events because they are, they are aimed at the general public, and I get to see what people are being presented within the public eye and what direct to consumer business businesses are predicting and what I'm seeing as trends. Um, oh, there's a thunderstorm coming in my in my audio. Sounds concerning. I'll turn that volume down. Um, what did I notice yesterday? Lots of pools. Well, I'm in Queensland, so there's lots of outdoor pools and activities, lots of patio elements. Um, but what really stood out for me, though, was if you are looking to renovate your home and or build a home or do any sort of improvement around the home and you're just going to things like the home shows, you're going to places like Bunnings and standard consumer retail outlets, you are leaving so much on the table. And I guess this is one of the key boons of using a designer, an industry professional within your renovations or construction work is that we have access and connections with so many other products that you will, you will never find through traditional direct-to-consumer channels. So... Absolutely. Go go to all these events. Immerse yourself in what's happening in the market, what you can, um, what's available direct to consumer. But know that there's a whole other world which a designer can connect you with, which is going to open up so many more amazing possibilities. Whether that's from, there was a couple of bathroom companies there yesterday with cabinetry. There's a couple of tapware people. Like that's all fantastic and fabulous and it's things that you wouldn't normally see at your standard showrooms that you that might be around the place, the retail outlets. But then just know that probably for every, you're looking at maybe, I don't know, one-tenth or less maybe of what's actually available in the market and a good industry professional and a good designer is going to be able to talk to you, get to know you, get to know your style, your aesthetic, and then start to point you in the direction and give you different products that that are going to make your sh- your space shine. So we're almost like little personal shoppers, really. So don't um, don't think that if you go to the home show or you go to a retail outlet, that that is all that's on the market. It's absolutely not the case. It's a tiny, tiny fragment of what's on the market. And if you use someone like a designer, then hopefully they can unlock some more doors for you, yeah? 
In this episode, we are gonna talk about renovating your bathroom. Good times. Did you like last week's episode? You see the uptick in energy there, the coffee's kicking in. Uh, did you like last week's episode when we did uh, changing rooms, the living room? And I thought I'd, I'd go straight to the other end of the spectrum and let's do the bathroom because I'm kind of mid-bathroom reno at the moment and I have some quips to share with you and some thoughts about everything. So stick around. Let's talk about it. All right, welcome back to Disco Designs. My name is Dave, an emerging interior designer here in Brisbane, Queensland. And thank you for again tuning into the show. The pleasure is all mine. So you want to renovate your bathroom, do you? Ooh, there's many reasons why you might want to renovate a bathroom. It might be feeling a little bit drab and outdated. You might have lots of grout that is maybe looking less than amazing. Um, it may not be functionally serving your needs anymore. Maybe the space isn't really working out for you. So there's heaps of reasons why you might want to renovate a bathroom. First question to ask yourself is, do I need to renovate the bathroom? Do I need to renovate the bathroom if it's just the grout or it's um, the walls are feeling a bit drab? Are there small remediations you can do to resolve that? Can you get some good grout cleaner in there? Can you you can repaint grout? Maybe if you just okay, take this scissor for instance. Maybe you've got some floor tiles and you just really hate the color, but you don't mind the form and everything else is fine. There are products on the market that, uh, like the Dulux uh, Renovator range and White Knight have a Renovator range as well where you can paint tiles. Maybe your cabinetry, your vanity uh, countertop is, is, I don't know, maybe it's a coral color from the late 80s or something and that's really getting you down. There are products on the market where you can zhuzh and revive that. Maybe it's your tapware's feeling a bit dated. We could update some tapware. We could redo the shower. Maybe just need a new toilet. I don't know. There's also the little things you might be able to do. But the very first thing I want to say to you, and Cher said this on her 1998 Believe album, is uh, it's all or nothing. And I think for a lot of the part, a lot of the time in a bathroom, if you were doing more than replacing a toilet, replacing a tap, um, maybe painting some tile, then. If you're wanting to go, let's update the shower and the toilet and the vanity. Well, you're basically all the way there, especially when we start to talk about plumbing, changes to plumbing. If you're wanting to really do anything semi-significant with that, it tends to turn into a let's do it all situation because depending on the size of your bathroom now, if you've got like a humongous bathroom, then this is probably not going to be as true. But if you have a fairly average, you know, couple of square meter small bathroom, in your home and you're wanting to change two or more elements, then you might want to consider just doing the whole thing because sometimes it's easier just to strip it all out, start from the bones and work back up. Not only will it end up having a bit more of a cohesive feel, but probably your tradies will actually really like you for that because it can be really awkward trying to work around preserving some materials and, and whilst doing some pretty destructive things to other elements. For example, tiling. If you're pulling off tiles, if you have large amounts of tiles on walls especially, there is a pretty much guaranteed chance that you're going to cause some pretty significant damage to the villa board 
um, underneath, which is like a, it's usually what we use in a bathroom, which is a waterproof or water resistant um, plasterboard situation. Um, there's a pretty good chance you're going to damage that it, at least in a couple of places beyond, you know, just patching it up. It's probably going to need to be replaced a little bit or you're going to have to do some serious patchwork to make it work. It's not just sort of pop the tile off and go again. So already if you're removing wall tiles, you're pretty much replacing the villa board. Okay. If we're doing that, if we're changing a vanity out, then we're going to need to be able to, if we're doing something like a wall hung uh, vanity, then we need to be able to re-anchor that through to studs or to uh, whatever the substrate is behind the wall. So that's going to cause a little bit of destruction. So we might as well do that whilst the um, uh, whilst the, the villa board's off. And then maybe we want to change a little bit of routing for the plumbing. So again, we might as well do that while that's all off. So you can see how it all adds up. And sometimes it's just easier to, to gut the place and start from scratch because everything's really accessible. It's like taking it, you know, if you're trying to organize a room, you take everything out of the room and then you start to piece by piece, bring things back in. It's much more cohesive to do it that way. And you, you can really refine everything properly. There's some birds outside. Isn't that nice? So consider what scope of changes you want to do to your bathroom. If it's a general bath, you know, a fairly standard size bathroom and you want to change two or, two or more elements, I'd say well, this is probably going to be a gut job. We're probably just going to redo it. Probably just going to redo it. Yep. Sounds good to me. So what's next? We need to think about your design style. Do you already have an established design style in your home? Yes, no, maybe unsure. Hmm, okay. Bathrooms can be a little bit of a diversion, I think, from a design style throughout a house. There is opportunity for them to obviously remain within the design style if you have a very clear one. But I think that bathrooms and especially powder rooms can be very transformative and transportative. Is that a word? They can transport you to a different time. And I like to lead my design concepts for bathrooms around a feeling. I want to, when I walk into that bathroom, I want a feeling as opposed to maybe, uh, well, there's always a feeling in every room, but you know, maybe in a, in a, we don't have the same variety of material, materiality and texture in a bathroom. Okay. We're not putting carpet in bathrooms. That's we, we haven't done that for a long time and we're not doing it. We're not going to do it again ever in the future. We don't have, I can't say, Oh, I really want a nice soft, uh, soft fabric over here. And I want you to be able to sink into the bathtub, sink into the lounge. It's like, I can get you to sink into a bathtub, but not the lounge. So lead with a feeling. So the type of feelings I'm immediately coming to mind are, okay, I'm feeling cautious of the day ahead and I get out of bed and I need to have a shower. What's the feeling that I want? I probably want to feel like I'm standing in the middle of a rainforest, don't I? Or some beautiful retreat somewhere or day spa. That's probably what a lot of people want. Maybe some people want a nice little dark moody cave. Maybe you want, um, maybe it's your beauty parlor for you to get ready in the morning and you want to feel really glamorous. Maybe you want to, it to really ground you. So you want something that's very earthy and very natural feeling. So consider the feeling that you want to experience in that space. 
And the same goes for guest spaces as well. If you're talking about a bathroom that is not ensuite or your primary bathroom that you personally use, okay, it's a guest room, a guest bathroom. How many bedrooms is that servicing? What are the needs of the people who are going to be there? They, maybe they need more obvious storage spaces where they can clearly see their things because they're only staying for a couple of days. You don't want to have to tuck it away into a cupboard. Um, maybe you need to have some longer or some more open sort of shelving or ledges for them to be able to place transient items on. Um, maybe you need some extra hanging space because they mightn't have a heap of space in their guest room for them to hang items. I don't know. Think about your space and how you want to use it. And the same with a powder room. Powder room, so a powder room is just a, a bathroom that doesn't have a shower or a, or, a, uh, or a bath. It's just a toilet. So it's just a place usually for guests to go and do their business when they're visiting and to powder their nose. Powder, powder rooms are the, they're very on trend at the moment for them being bold and out there. So we're seeing uh, wallpapering. We're seeing crazy tiling happening in there. We're seeing really moody spaces. I don't really care so much about the, you being able to have 100% accuracy of your makeup looking at your face. Like it's obviously you need to be able to see what's happening, but it's different to your dressing room where you're getting ready for the day as opposed to when you step into a powder room and you've already had three Chardonnays and you just need to use the bathroom. And you, you, I, for me, I want a guest to walk into a powder room and go, wow, look at this. And then to remember that powder room, right? So I'm not as focused as much on daylight accuracy for skin tone, color, et cetera, et cetera, as I am in a primary uh, ensuite or bedroom or bathroom or dressing space. So think about the intention of your space. What is the feeling you want? And right about now is when you should consider engaging a designer. Once you have identified what it is that you're wanting to do, so we want to replace the shower, the toilet, the vanity, and retile the joint, which is pretty much a full renovation. And I roughly know the feeling that I want in that space. I want it to be a rainforest retreat. Beautiful. This is usually where you'd want to engage a designer and get them to help you throughout this process. Now, why would you engage a designer? Well, the number one thing you're going to engage a designer for is to save you from pitfalls and mistakes, to save you money and time both now and into the future. Saving you time for rework, saving you time for it all being done and then you go, oh, that thing didn't quite work out. Damn it, that's really unfortunate. I wish I had had a designer involved. That feeling. And as I alluded to at the beginning, they're going to have a squillion more products than you even know is on the market at their fingertips. They're your own little personal shopper to be able to pull and source all these amazing things for you as their client to be able to then include in your designer home. And ultimately, they're, they're going to save you money for, for having, as I said, having to do rework, finding different efficiencies in certain products as well. You know, I can get you this product, which is going to actually be a much better quality, last you much longer. So in the long run, it's going to, you know, work out cheaper or here's a different alternative or a different pathway we could go down here. And of course, it's going to make your space look like a designer space. And it, it's going to give you that feeling of when you walk in and you want that rainforest retreat in your bathroom, that you get that rainforest retreat. They're going to be thinking about all sorts of other 
elements that we can layer in subtly to create that atmosphere. So consider getting a designer involved. After you've got that happened, and whilst you're thinking about it, you need to understand services are really hard to relocate, generally speaking. I always, I always I always seem to qualify that, don't I? I always make a statement on this podcast and then go, generally speaking, because there's always exceptions to the rules. So what do I mean about services? I'm primarily talking about plumbing services here. Electrical services, not so much of a drama because we can generally reroute them within reason. However, plumbing services, specifically waste water. So I'm talking about your shower and I'm talking about your toilet most importantly, can be very tricky to relocate depending on the construction of your home. If you live on a single or dual story, uh, single occupancy, a single um, home dwelling, use your words, David, there's a very good chance that you have a concrete slab underneath you. If you're renovating a toilet on the bottom floor, it is going to be very tricky, expensive, and unlikely that you are going to want to relocate the toilet waste. Because if you need to relocate the toilet waste on a concrete slab, so it's all cast before, before the concrete's actually poured. All of that is roughed in and they put all the pipework for waste in before the concrete is poured. So if you need to move the toilet, even if it's half a meter to the left, you have in, in essence have to break up that concrete slab and re-put in new pipework, get that all certified. And it's a very expensive operation, like very expensive, like many, many thousands of dollars to make that happen for what is a very small change. Shower pans and shower drainage, kind of the same. There's maybe a few creative things you can do with that, but kind of the same. Now, when we're talking about upstairs bathrooms or if you live in a Queenslander or if you live in a property that is got a timber subfloor and there's crawl space below, then we're in a little bit of a different situation because if you crawl under the house, you'll see where that plumbing is leaving the flooring and its direction of travel. And it is more likely you're going to be able to change that direction of travel and make what you want to do work. So that's less of an issue. But generally speaking, don't assume you can move the toilet from one end of the bathroom to the other. So when you're thinking about your ideals and what you want to do and achieve in the space, you need to think about the construction of the home. You need to think about, actually, if I want to move that toilet, it's going to cost me a lot of money. Slash, it may just not actually be practical at all. Money can usually solve everything, but there's, there's limits on really how much are you willing to spend on that toilet to get it to move. So work around your base services to begin with. So I would say, unless there is some extremely prohibitive reason why, keep the toilet where it is, keep the shower location or the bath, bath location where it is and keep your vanity location where it is. Vanities can be a little bit different, depends on the drainage type. So if your vanity drains into the floor, again, we end up in the same issue as the previous two in that it's very hard to relocate that drainage. If it drains into the wall and you've got a, a P-trap that goes back into the wall, then there's more, much more chance and opportunity for us to relocate that and run it elsewhere along the wall path. 
And that's going to be much greatly aided if we don't have any wall coverings, aka your villa board on the wall. Hence why it's often much more preferable for us to rip that out. So there are your services, uh, your vanity services. Even if you had a floor draining vanity, we could have more give and take with that because we could build cabinetry around it. So if you, like me, I have a floor draining uh, bathroom, uh, floor draining vanities in both of my bathrooms. I can't really move them, but there is about a, f- a 1.2 meter or 1200 mil space that that vanity occupies. And I could really change the form of that in a whole bunch of different ways and still cover the floor drainage, if that makes sense. So I can, I can change the design within reason without affecting that ability to drain. Service locations, talked about that, talked about that. Um, one thing I want to talk about, just touch on, I'll touch on two things. So one is toilets. We're seeing more and more people preferring a concealed cistern toilet. So what is a concealed cistern toilet? If you don't if you don't have one in your house, I 99% guarantee you've used one at some stage. It's when you don't see the cistern that where you, um, so the cistern is the, piece at the back which holds all the water which then flushes the toilet right so the old push the button on top of the toilet flush 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 when you go to let's say a shopping center and there is the toilet bowl and there's a button on the wall you push that and you don't see where all the water is being stored that's called a concealed cistern and many people have concealed cistern toilets in their home it's becoming a much more popular option because it is more streamlined as far as its physical form if you get one that is, um, so basically the way we do it in a home is you usually have a 90 to 100, 110 mil wall cavity where there is the, it's still a system, like it's still a, a container for all the water to go, but it's much more compressed and it's much more, it's like pancaked out. So that back bit of your toilet's been squished. So it goes a little bit wider to the sides, a bit higher, but it's much thinner. So it can then just be mounted inside of the wall. And then the toilet bowl is either wall hung, which creeped me out, or floor mounted. And the wall the wall mounted ones, look, the, the, the weight ratings on these, and I'm not, a I'm not a particularly large person, but they still freak me out sometimes. I get onto, you know, I see a wall hung toilet and I'm like, oh, am I, is this going to come flying off the wall? I don't know. I personally prefer a floor mounted one. I like to keep my feet on the ground in the bathroom. I like to soar in other ways in my life, but in the toilet, in the bathroom, I like to keep my feet on the ground. Thank you, ma'am. But the rating, the weight ratings on those wall-mounted ones are, as you would expect, they're like they're ridiculously high. So they're very secure. Okay, it just feels something about it feels slightly off. But anyway, I digress. People like the wall-mounted systems because it's much cleaner looking. You, if you get, uh, depending on the bowl selection you get, especially if you get a floor-mounted one, basically there is no space behind the toilet bowl or to the sides where dust and dirt can collect, which is probably one of the reasons I would suggest them is, uh, yeah, it just doesn't, it isn't then a place where dirt can collect, which is, if you think of the old toilets, which had lots of swoops and shapes in the, in the back parts, if you've ever cleaned behind a toilet, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't take a look, um, there can be a lot of 
just little bits in there where you have to like wipe down and wash down and it can just get a bit awkward and annoying. Whereas if it's all flush to the wall, straight lines along the side of the toilet bowl, curves around at the front, happy days, much more streamlined and simpler. So people tend to prefer that look visually and also it's just a little bit more practical. If you don't have a 90 mil wall cavity to be able to put the cistern in, usually what we do then is we just build a little nib wall outwards. And very often that can, depending on the location of the toilet, maybe that connects and intersects with the vanity, maybe it intersects and connects with the shower. We can do all sorts of really cool things with the nib walls and we can tile them in really fun ways, et cetera, et cetera. If you're worried about access for the concealed systems, and it's still something I think about from time to time. So usually the cover plates for the flush buttons, they are removable and that is what is actually the access through to the cistern. But if something catastrophic did happen, the reality is, yeah, you'd probably have to pull open that wall or destroy that nib wall a little bit if you need to replace that cistern. Again, they have a very long life on them. I don't, I can't, off the top of my head, it's like 25, 30 years on the, on those cisterns, but it's not as straightforward as of just pulling a toilet off the floor like you normally would, unbolt it, off you go. So there is that consideration as well. So give and take. Give the aesthetics, take a little bit of practicality, but how often are you replacing a toilet? Mm, not very often. While I'm on the streak of giving thoughts on uh, bathroom paraphernalia, let's talk about bathtubs. I'm six foot one. They don't make a bathtub for the gentleman very often. There's a few. There's a few. Um, wonderful company here in Brisbane, Art House. They've got some fantastic baths, which I can absolutely luxuriate in, but I don't have a space a, com a space big enough to accommodate them. But anyway, so for me, I don't care for bathtubs personally, like functionally for me. Do I think they're great, a great idea, and that in the right space that they can be a fantastic addition? Absolutely. Some people are ragging on the freestanding bath resurgence that's happening at the moment, but I honestly think it is probably the most practical way to implement it. So I, if I had to have a choice between, do I want a shower or a bathtub with a shower in it? Every day of the week, just give me the shower. I don't care about the bathtub. A great example is in my secondary bathroom. The bathtub is teeny tiny, and but it's, um, it's a bath and shower in one. And it is, it's the worst of both. It's a terrible bath because it's small and it's a terrible shower because I have to climb into the bath to use the shower. And as a result, I never use that shower. So I get the worst of both worlds. So when I do the renos on that, I'm absolutely getting rid of that bath. Now, some people will go, Dave, you're going to ruin your resale value. Okay, two things. Back to previous episodes. I don't care about the resale value because this is my home and I'm going to take up space in my own home for now. If somebody wants to put a bathtub in later on, that is their prerogative. Good luck. And if they're going to have kids, like, well, okay, a couple of things. A, I'm kind of fairly in a city at this point. It's a fairly, you know, it's a two-bedroom apartment. It's not Taj Mahal. So is my next buyer likely going to be, you know, it's terrible that I'm thinking about this, but we're all crippled with this anxiety of what about the next buyer? Okay. And it's something, this, I, this won't be my forever home, he says. Um, but down the line, if somebody is going to be buying this, it's unlikely it's going to be a family. 
So just I can cast that out of my mind, okay? It's more likely it's going to be some students, some young professionals. It's going to be someone who wants to have a bit more of an inner city living vibe. So a shower is going to be much more functional for them. If somebody happens to move in or buy the place that has a dog or it has a kid and wants to be able to use a bath, then they can sort that out. There's plenty of options on the markets. They can use some sort of free form moving tub situation. I know that's that problem, right? So I need to cast that to the back of my mind. And I'm giving you permission to cast that to the back of your mind. Don't renovate your house for the next people, okay? Renovate for you. That's unless... (laughs) There goes me with my rule again. Unless you're renovating your home to sell it, then yes, renovate for the next person. But if you're going to plan to live there for the next five to ten years, renovate for yourself. I give you permission. I've spoken. So that's my thoughts on bathtubs. Not a fan. If I had space for a shower and a bathtub that could accommodate a 33-year-old six-foot-one male, then yes, I would absolutely put in a bathtub because I'd love to take a bath from time to time. But my general experience in life is that bathtub life is not really meant for me unless I am at a spa or I find by some sort of miracle a really huge bathtub. But if I had the space and I could, yes, I probably would have a bathtub in addition to a shower and it would be freestanding because I actually think that's the best way to do it. I don't really actually want to be crammed into a corner sitting in a bath. I would much rather have a little bit of space around me where I could luxuriate and listen to a little bit of Enya and have a Pinot Gris and that just sounds fabulous to me. Yeah? Storage. Moving on sharply. Storage. Put it everywhere. Concealed, storage, everywhere. Biggest offenders I probably see, I think everyone tends to get the vanity thing under wraps. They go, ooh, a vanity underneath, like underneath my uh, sink. Yeah, let's put some storage under there. And you go, that's great. That's where all my hair dye and extra shampoo lives. But day to day, you need something that's really accessible for you. And unfortunately, I still see a lot of people just putting in just a mirror, just a mirror on the wall in front of the vanity. And what's the missed opportunity there? The missed opportunity is the storage. That, me- that mirror could have been a medicine cabinet. That mirror could have contained lots of storage behind it. That mirror could have contained some power for my hairdryer. Yep. Heaps of opportunities. So include storage. Don't think just under, think above. Think about in the shower. That we, we love a niche. We love a niche in the shower. We love a shelf in the shower. Nobody wants to have a crappy metal rack that hangs over the shower head or to put shampoo bottles on the floor. Nobody wants that. So when you're building, when you're redesigning, when you're talking to your designer, make sure that is something is included. Consider how many products do you have? What size are they as well? Let's make sure we have a niche that actually accommodates your needs and that gives you storage for what you need. And ideally, if it's out of sight in the shower as well. So depending on the entrance angle into the shower space, I generally try and hide the niches. If I've got like a nib wall, I'll include them in that sort of underneath the nib wall a little bit so you can't visually see it. Or we find creative places to pop it. So it's not the first thing that I see when I walk in, yeah? Got to be kind of 
careful about where that goes. It needs to be practical, but if we can, let's get it out of our sightline. Storage, um, consider cabinetry. Don't just accept, again, don't just accept what you walk into uh, Reese bathrooms and go, these are the only vanities I can buy. Absolutely not. There's a squillion different suppliers of vanities. And of course, you can have something custom made from a cabinet maker. And one piece of cabinetry, like it might be uh, a little bit of money, a little bit more money, but it's probably, honestly, some of the, a lot of the very popular vanities on the market as well, even the baseline ones are still running you two, three, four thousand dollars $4,000. For that money, you could probably get a cabinet maker to make you something that is bespoke to you in the finish that you want that is going to suit your needs perfectly and give you all the storage that you want. So make sure you're putting in lots of storage. Make sure you're considering storage for things like toilet rolls as well. There's nothing worse than going to a, a, someone's bathroom, someone's toilet, if you're visiting their home and there's like, I don't know, a dozen squares of toilet paper left on the roll and there's no visible and clear way for me uh, to know where the rest of the toilet paper is and hopefully there is someone. It's bad enough having to yell out in your own house to, to try and get someone to bring you some toilet paper. But when you're in a when you're in a friend's or a, a acquaintance's house, that is even less glamorous of a proposition. So make it really clear, especially if it's a powder room, where that toilet paper is by either having it right next to the toilet or having it in a very accessible cupboard nearby, which people would intuitively want to go to. So consider your storage very carefully. The last piece of the pie is lighting and electrical. Lighting will make or break your bathroom. Don't just throw down lights in. D don't just throw down lights in. There is an exceedingly wonderful amount of opportunities in a bathroom for you to incorporate feature lighting. We're talking about especially around your vanity to begin with. I, that's probably the primary, that's the primary action zone because that's where you are awakening to the day and where you are, oh, there we go. There's the bird, I was trying to get the birds back. You're awakening to the day. You've, you've stepped into a bathroom. Good morning, good morning. You've splashed your face with a bit of water. You've had a sip. You've brushing your teeth, your hair's in a towel. You're ready to put your face on, right? That is where you need light. You need light in that situation. And we don't want a harsh overhead light because when was Naomi Campbell ever lit with harsh overhead lighting? No, we want light front on. We want to be able to see light coming onto our face. So that usually means lighting that is on the wall or that is between your face and the mirror. So maybe that does have a bit of a, um, a banker's lamp vibe over the top of the vanity, if you know what I mean, like a bit of a lamp that hangs over the top. Maybe there is a downlight there or some sort of track light. I don't know. There's some, it needs to be something there. The important thing is you don't have the light behind your head. Tons and tons of mirrors and medicine cabinets now have uh, lights built into them. I have very mixed feelings about them. I, the, the issue that I draw with many of these items on the market, and if you actually went to a designer and, and, and you know, we pull one for you, we could find one that doesn't have this, but I hate the ones that have a Bluetooth speaker in them. 
so many of them have Bluetooth speakers in them. And what happens when you get a Bluetooth speaker in it is you get all of these pseudo buttons on the on the surface of the mirror where it's like, here's the Bluetooth pairing button. Here's the, there's a button to change color temperature. There's a, there's a button to um, uh, defrost the mirror, which are all good functions, except for I'd say the Bluetooth speaker. Um, but the problem is they, they put them right in the glass, on the front of the glass. So now instead of me staring just at me, focusing on my tropical shower bathroom, I'm standing in the minority report with bunches of lights and buttons in front of me. And I don't really like that. Why do I hate the Bluetooth so much? Because it, as if it's going to be a good speaker, it's in a medicine cabinet. If you want music in the bathroom, get yourself like a, a Sonos or something, get something decent because you don't want to have a cheap tinny feeling experience in your luxury tropical bathroom. No, we want to be able to hear Enya in her full spectrum of sound from high highs to bassy lows, right? So if you want to complete the aesthetic, do that as well. You know, so it just feels like they went, oh, we could put a speaker in it. Let's just do that. Just because you can doesn't mean you should, okay? And I just wish they put the buttons somewhere a bit more discreet, like underneath it where I could, you know, I'd have to maybe reach and touch and feel for the button, but at least it wouldn't be impeding my view of my face. That was a really big gripe for a really small issue. And I'm sure someone's going to be listening to that going, I have that mirror, David. And it does not bother me in the slightest. And I go, hats off to you. Back to lighting. Wow, there's a big sidebar. Put the lighting where you need it for your face, which is in between you and the mirror. However you get it there, good on you. Don't forget all these other opportunities for lighting. Underneath the vanity, on top of the vanity, to the sides of the vanity mirrors, underneath the kick of the vanity. Um... A low voltage lighting in the shower is actually becoming quite popular. So think about shadow lines across the ceiling, thinking about um, concealed lighting, even in niches is becoming a little bit popular. If you're having a bath, if you are going to put in a bath, let's think about that scenario. What sort of lighting can we include in your space to give you beautiful ambiance to help support your bath experience? Maybe you don't want any lights. Maybe you want to do it by candlelight. Then that's great. We need to make sure we've got some sort of table or ledge for you to use for that. Or maybe you just want to have some really dim light, which is happening around the bottom cornicing of your bathroom. That'd be beautiful, wouldn't it? So many, so many options in a bathroom. In a powder room, it can be a little bit more pared back. Even then, it can just be like a feature sconce or a feature light of some description in your powder room. So don't forget about lighting. Don't forget as well, uh, you need to talk to your designer and also to builder and electrician about location of power, highly regulated in bathrooms, the location of power points, how far they can be from a shower, uh, how far they can be from a a toilet and how far they can be from a vanity sink as well. And also a laundry tub if you happen to have a combined situation. So there's all sorts of legislation in Australia about how far away they can be. it's nothing really crazy. It's all pretty sensible and straightforward. But uh, on the power situation, again, think about having power very close to the vanity. My favorite is to put it inside of the medicine cabinet, if that makes sense for your space, usually in the last shelf. And then a lot of vanities actually have a recess in the bottom uh, 
the, the bottom ledge of the mirror, which lets the power cord come out. So essentially you can plug it inside the mirror, close the mirror and still use it fully, which I think is a perfect solution. And then you can just put your appliances back in there. So think about the location of power as well. You need to have power available to use hair dryers, straighteners, curlers, shavers, epilators, everything between the stand mixer, um, uh, I don't know, a, um, what else could you use? Oil diffuser, um, mm, wax melty thingy for, for the bath. You know, the ones that like the electric, um, oil burners, that's what I'm thinking of. All sorts of things that you might need some power for in the bathroom. Charge your phone to plug the Sonos speaker in to listen to Enya. Yes, let's do that. That's actually would be a really nice inclusion in a bathroom. It would be to have a um, a ceiling uh, and an integrated sound system in there as well. Just a couple of ceiling speakers. Sonos actually makes some really good ones that can be ceiling mounted, ceiling recessed. You could absolutely do that in the bathroom. That'd be so luxurious. And there's a couple of other little uh, uh, contemplations as well. One would be laundry. How, if, if it is somewhere you're getting undressed, either having an elegant way to be able to stow your laundry in your laundry basket uh, or being able to deal with that, consider that. And then also night lighting. Night lighting is um, can just really add that designer touch. My favorite way to do it is by using a sensor. A lot of companies have sensor combinations now, so you just walk into the bathroom at, a night, at nighttime and you know maybe just a small light under a kick in the vanity turns on to give you just enough light to be able to navigate, but not too much that you're going to wake yourself up or other people around you. So consider those little designer touches. Oh, and actually I'll flip back one, one last step back to power. B- uh, bidet toilets, they are becoming more and more popular, especially in homes that are being geared towards people who are uh, aging. Because using a bidet toilet can really help maintain independence as we start to grow older and as our accessibility needs change. Uh, The biggest gripe in Australia is that we very often do not have power available right next to the toilet, which is usually required or they're hardwired in for your bidet. So if you're going to install a bidet, then consider power for that as well. Because that's something that keeps creeping up for me when I see these things. I'm like, oh, is this something you maybe want to include? Yes or no. Haven't had anyone put one in yet, but it's something I still ask all the time because it's it's very often easier just to future-proof it. Even if uh, an electrician runs cables but doesn't hook it all up, even if they run them towards the, the bath, uh, sorry, towards where the toilet is. So in the future, if we needed to replace that toilet with a bidet, we know that the power is already there. That can be another important consideration as well well it was 43 minutes of me whinging about um how much i hate bluetooth speakers in vanities who would have thought you would have been getting such high quality content today out of me thanks so much for joining me though i hope what you took away from this is there's a lot of um there's a lot to think about in a bathroom there's a lot to think about Definitely the takeaway is engage your designer. Then you need to, once the designs are all done, 
you need to engage a builder for this because there are so many trades that need to occur from electrician to plumber to waterproofer to tiler to cabinet maker to painter that uh, unless you're really looking to to fill up your life with calling people and and harassing them and following them up then offload all of that to a builder it's gonna be much much easier yeah and you're gonna likely need things certified anyway so that kind of helps uh with with that whole situation until next time, um, I hope you have a great week. Now, in the meantime, if you do want to talk about maybe your bathroom, you can always head over to my website, disco.design, D-I-S-K-O.design slash contact. Scroll down a little bit. You can either send me an email, email message there or you can book in for a 20-minute discovery session. And in that discovery session, it's just a really low-stress chat Will you tell me a little bit about the project? I tell you a little bit, a little bit about me and how the process works of design, and we can make an educated decision on whether we're a good fit for your particular project. If that sounds good, head over to my site and uh, make yourself uh, a little appointment in there. You can you can scroll through the days and times, click on a time, put in your information, bam, booked, done, and I'll chat to you then. Yeah. Until then. Stay safe, look after yourself. Go look at the back of the toilet now. See what sort of toilet you've got. Bye.